Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Nixie Lamb. Good morning, Nixie. Morning. On this morning's programme, we're talking about, what else, but the Chief Executive's final policy address of her five-year term. Carrie Lamb took more than two hours to deliver her last policy speech at the Legislative Council yesterday. The highlight was a plan for a massive 300-square-kilometre northern metropolis next to the border with the mainland. As expected, there were also proposals to restructure government bureaus and a commitment to strengthen national security further. What did you like or not like in Mrs Lamb's blueprint? You can let us know your thoughts. Leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us this morning in our Admiralty studio, we have uh, David Webb, uh, founder and editor of uh, website.com and uh, also on the line, uh, John Burns, uh, emeritus uh, professor and honorary professor at the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. And Dr. Rita Lee, a Director of Sustainable Real Estate uh, Research Centre uh, and Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at uh, Hong Kong Shuyan University. Um, thanks for joining uh, to all our guests. Perhaps, uh, David Webb, if we could start with you. What's your overview of the policy address? Well, in some ways it was a manifesto for re-election because she won't have time to execute much of it at all. Um, most of the proposals are going to be in the new legislative year if they involve lawmaking um, or 10 years down the road if they involve land reclamation, um, you know, for the Lantau metropolis or expanded science park and so on. Um, there's far too much central planning in it. If you go through the documents searching for buzzwords, I and T comes up 42 times. That means information, uh, innovation and technology. Um, one country, 31 times, national security, 29 times, metropolis, 30 times, and surprisingly, Lantau tomorrow, three times. Um, it's been pushed way down the uh, hype list because that was last year's buzz and this year it's uh, all about the northern metropolis. Oh, and um, a new word I hadn't come across, technopole, uh, three times. Um, there's um, some idea in her mind that simply by building, pouring more concrete, reclaiming more land, filling in fish ponds and so on, um, one can create an innovation and technology hub um, and 150,000 people apparently are going to be employed in this. She knows this, I, do, I know not how, but she knows this. Um, and, uh, you know, this is um, unfortunately uh, a bad way to, to uh, run a territory uh, we should let market forces work. There's only one recognition, one one appearance of the term market forces in the entire document because the government knows best that we should all be doing INT, and that's in 42 times. Now, you know, the, the uh, you have to ask yourself whenever they start planning an even bigger science park, not having learnt from the first one and the cyberport, um, and, and, and a humongous... Um, Expansion, the Lokmarchau Loop, we are now told, uh, being only 87 hectares, which, by the way, is like twice the size of West Kowloon, um, uh, we're told that's not big enough because across the river in Shenzhen there is a 300-hectare um, earmarked area for I&T. So we must be bigger. So we must grab some fish ponds nearby and um, expand 
um, and shift one of our um, port facilities across into the mainland territory and thereby expand the Loch Marchal Loop even before it's been occupied by a single scientist. Um, so, you know, when you, when you uh, divert government funds, which, remember, are taxpayers' funds, into these activities, you have to draw the money out of the economy to do it, and that's money that might have been allocated in other ways. The, the government never set aside land for an office, office park in Central um, or a financial services park in uh, Quarry Bay, for example, where the SFC is now based. These things happened organically on their own over decades, uh, in the case of banking, of course, right back at the beginning of Hong Kong's uh, settlement. So um, it's, it's uh, a shame that we're going down that road. On, on other areas, we've got um, another promise to um, fix the so-called MPF offset problem, um, which... Uh, you know, I proposed a solution to over five years ago. It's very simple. Um, when the MPF was introduced in 2000, and before that during the uh, LegCo discussion, the government promised that employers would not have to pay twice. They were already paying long service payments to people who were retired. And um, uh, and so the government said, well, now we're going to have a more comprehensive scheme uh, where um, we'll have the uh, the MPF and you'll be able to offset the LSP obligation against money you've already put into the MPF fund for retirement uh, so that there wouldn't be a double call on the employers. And uh, that's that's still the problem. And the solution was to to, to freeze the uh, LSP to to, to stop in, stop paying long service accruals uh, to any new employees. Of course, you wouldn't disturb the entitlements that people had built up to LSP. Um, and and then you could separate the two things, um, and, and the LSP would gradually fade away as people took new jobs without any entitlement to it. Um, but instead, they want to carry on in parallel with both of these. Uh, retirement schemes uh, and um, a and as a consequence they want to spend 33 billion Hong Kong dollars of taxpayers money subsidizing employers on a some sort of declining basis uh, which is that, uh, to, to um, compensate them for paying twice now uh, if it's on a declining basis the logical thing for employers to do and what I plan to do as an employer of one person is to terminate my employee um, and immediately collect the um, um, subsidy while it's while it's the highest level, uh, and then re-employ her the next day, um, because you know if they're going to play play around like that, then so will I. But um, it, it, they really ought to just um, terminate the LSP system and recognise that uh, we have a welfare uh, system which could be improved for people who are unemployed, uh, who are not yet at retirement age, and and that's a separate issue. Okay, well, well uh, several things there, but uh, um, just sticking with the northern metropolis uh, for now, uh, uh, Dr. Rita Lee, you're a, a real estate specialist and uh, academic. Um, what's your assessment of it? Well, uh, I would put it this way. That is um, the main point about the development of the northern part of New Territories, which is actually the focus of Carrie uh, 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 Lam's proposal. Um, actually, the whole proposal in that part, so it tried to deal with the long-term housing uh, problems or long-term housing issues, where, like, for example, five-wheel waves will be constructed stations there, and then providing housing projects about, like, uh, 650,000 uh, work positions. And then it will also provide um, the 920,000 of the housing units, uh, which can uh, allow uh, occupied occupants of uh, 2.5 million 
So this actually can eventually uh, can uh, this can eventually actually lead to a uh, long term provisions of the uh, sufficient number of the uh, housing units for the uh, long term goal. And then, um, so that uh, to a certain extent, I think that this is a way for which we can deal with the problem, which has been last for long, which includes like, the, the, those uh, extremely small size of flags, and then uh, uh, and then the housing problem that is uh, mentioned by uh, earlier this uh, phone uh, uh, this morning, the phone in uh, members uh, who try to uh, call upon Carrie uh, 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 Lam about like uh, there is no sufficient uh, uh, housing units, uh, plastic housing, etc. And then uh, one more thing that is a, a, a co-development with the new territories parks that they also re- re- relax the sale of restriction of the Chotong land uh, amendment to the yeah. new territories uh, uh, ordinance. Yeah. Uh, even though that uh, we all know that section 15 of the new territory ordinance of the Cap uh, 97 does not really specify, like for example, what is the flat hole of the sale of the Chotong lands or the government's procedure on handling the application of consent of such sale. But the judge, uh, court judgment in the past is and there is a uh, unanimity is required for the uh, for the Choton to sell to the Cho, uh, uh, to lands. So therefore, actually, the uh, district officers themselves, they have to ensure that the unanimous consent is obtained uh, from all members when handling these applications. So that actually become a main hurdle all over the uh, the time that uh, if there's like uh, we have got 20% that they disagree, we cannot do anything. So say, for instance, we try, if we try to lessen to like 80%, even though that the uh, policy address has not stated that, then the whole process can be done in a lot faster way. And it can release uh, the land uh, much more in the short one, I would just say. And then um, so that uh, this is a uh, this is uh, way for which I think uh, in the new territories part that they have, uh, that she has done uh, a lot of the great job and then uh, Providing the job opportunities so that people do not lead to like, rush to the Hong Kong Island side, and then um, so I think the the new tourist part has uh, has done has done a great job there, and then uh, for the um, for other parts like for example the existing one because they uh, uh, estates like uh, housing estates owned by those like government uh, the government like uh, for example Hong Kong Housing Authority and the Quickside government uh, departments like Hong Kong Housing Society uh, that is uh, much more. Uh, faster way in terms of like redevelopment because you do not need to deal with like multi ownership uh, problems, etc. So redevelopment of the Thai Hand Estate, for example, has been identified as providing uh, 3,300 uh, units, which ultimately uh, uh, agree. And then uh, the two estates, there's a Sai Wan Estate and also Mata White Estates, uh, two 60 years old estate, obviously that it should be like obsolete. So it should have been uh, tried to redevelop it for long and then. Uh, so that uh, environmental degradation can be minimized and then uh, improve the existing transportation and also other facilities. Okay. And then so that, that I think it is a good way to do it. It's, it's, it is very aspirational, though, when you look at the uh, numbers involved thrown into this. Uh, first of all, 920,000 units, that includes 390,000 existing homes in places like Yuen Long and Tin Shui Wai. Yeah, Fun Ling. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so you're talking at 530,000 units net. But even so, if you assume two people per unit, that's uh, 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 you know, 1.06 million people 
um, that they're expecting to house. And we've only got about 100,000 households in subdivided units. And obviously, um, uh, some of those could stay if, if, the, if, if they cease to be subdivided, they'd still provide some units. Um, so where are all these people coming from? We've had, we've had a population drop um, of about 100,000 in the last year. Um, there's a brain drain going on. And if you simply build excessive amounts of, of uh, housing, uh, there'll be excessive vacancies and then prices would, would tend to uh, fall. So, uh, you know, I think in practice, um, this, this paper is aspirational, it's a manifesto, and a lot of it is NGTH not going to happen. Um, it is a fair description of some of the plans that were already underway um, in the new territories. Uh, there were already plans but, um, for new... For uh, the other way around because like look at the case of like Changquan or NTR station so mm -hmm. if you try to look at like Lohurst Park and also many other stations in the uh, in the Changquan mm -hmm. old line then we actually know that by the time that the railway is built uh, there are a lot of the housing estates could be built uh, together as well because actually the transportation is one of the main concern by the time that we decide to like build or not to build and then uh, whether or not the people will really move But Rita, in. people can't live in more than one home at the same time and it, well they could if they had a holiday home in the new territories but that's not the plan, I'm, is it? Uh, <laughs> um, so, not really. I, I'm not just so, saying so the, the actual there's a supplemental because paper that came out about this uh, northern metropolis. There's a whole big colourful brochure on it, and it mentions a huge influx of young people. Well, the last time, last in, last group of young people I saw was at the airport heading outwards. Um, yeah, so, you're right. You're right. You're right. Actually, because of the fact that we have got 120,000 people over that, that have already been gone, but then I feel that we have got a lot of people who are still waiting on the. So, so where is this like, huge housing. influx of young people coming from? I mean, this is this is the question. Are we simply going to spread out the existing public housing households um, and give a, a unit to every young person who who becomes uh, 18 I would years just old? Say that uh, we have got a, quite a large demand now so that the housing mm. price is still going up. So it just implies that even if that we, we, we just talk about like uh, mm. just in an existing position that we still have got a very large demand. Yeah, part of the so, problem is that the government is very bad at allocating the public housing stock mm. that it's got. What happens is, first of all, you don't get means tested after the age of 60. Um, you're only paying 10% of median income as rent. And um, and when your children grow up and leave home, you don't have to move out. So you enjoy that um, perk and have spare bedrooms on your hands. And so um, over the last the, decade the, the, or so, they've the built about... They, okay, well, uh, okay. uh, they, previously, I have also done that research on about, like, moving out. But the question is that if your house is very big, you actually don't want to, like, squeeze yourself into a very small home, right? Because mm. in Hong Kong, uh, we, if we talk about the home size... Like three bedroom, it is a large. It is a. Uh, we just say that it is not a small room at least. But then if we talk about like the places like in in Australia, for example, uh, a lot of us that we have got like for example two story high, and then so that actually the the size is like a lot of the housing are very very small. To Different one, issue. Uh, to, to one one extreme case, for example, one of my friends who uh, who who is a judge uh, for the court, and then for the, her first home, uh, first home that she buy. There's a there's a flat without a uh, without a bedroom, you know. So that it is like Studio? I would just say that even you can you can you can imagine that the court uh, the, the the court uh, judge uh, I mean a young judge also buy this kind of home. So what does that mean? So it means that home size is very small. So after all, the lot and part in itself that they have got a 
they have got a demand over right, there. Right, but are, are you saying that... Are you saying about, that next is about to jump in. We also have uh, John Burns on the line. But uh, just, just before we uh, uh, bring in John Burns, uh, sorry, bear with me, uh, because uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a very relevant email here from Eric. says, uh, um, I'm wildly perplexed. Exactly a year ago, Mrs Lamb's policy address extolled that the East Lantau metropolis was the single perfect place for Hong Kong to create hmm. a large 1,000-hectare development area. Twelve months later, Mrs Lamb is saying that the optimum location for a large development is the North uh, New Territories uh, Northern Metropolis. I will be interested to know how both can be optimum. Also with an ageing population, zero Hong Kong population growth at government's own figures and only 150 return permit holders per day comprising the single component uh, of uh, increase in population. Who is going to live in these two metropolises? Finally, government simply does not have enough government civil servant manpower to develop uh, ELM, let alone the northern metropolis. Uh, that from Eric. Um, uh, John Burns, what's your view? Well, um, I've been listening to what others have said. I, I agree that the policy address is aspirational, um, and it does address some of these problems like housing and integration of Hong Kong with the GBA to a certain extent, which, by the way, has been around since 2015. But to me, this policy address is the sort of thing that we would expect to see at the beginning of a CE's term. Where has she been for the last five years is what I would like to know. And, you know, she only understands the urgency of these issues after being kicked, it would appear to me. And now that we have aligned LegCo and the executive, and we can expect LegCo to support this, uh, this plan, so then performance of it or on it depends on the policy capacity of uh, the government. And this, you know, isn't just analytical capacity, and David Webb has faulted that, and I take that 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 and you know that's uh, importantly that's important and operational capacity, but it also depends on political capacity, and this is accountability, trust, and participation. These sorts of things. There's no evidence that the government understands this at all. And then the final thing I would say about this is many of these solutions are the tired old thinking of you know, the way the government has um, proposed things in the past. Now, unlike David Webb, you know, I'm more critical of the market and neoliberalism. And so we cannot expect Hong Kong to simply grow itself out of inequality and stunted social mobility, which is the situation that we have now. These issues were not addressed at all. Hmm. Nixie. You, you kind of, no, I'm just, just thinking, yeah. like, like cause David was, was mentioning about, like, letting the market to run on, on, on organically, which I think a lot of people in Hong Kong are still suffering from, like, like the housing problems. Um, like, I mean, I mean it's, it's well, quite that, a big that is, issue. That is not organic. The housing system <laughs> is, is run very badly by the government. 50% <laughs> of people live in either rental housing or subsidised purchase housing. But just thinking and that... 
at at this point, having a more sort of sort of like visionable, like uh, visionary like uh, plans will will be something that we'll really need. Not really sure yeah, so, how the implementation is actually. Well, doing. I've, I've certainly <laughs> written about uh, some of these uh, uh, solutions. One one thing. Again, for the for the allocation of public rental housing, mm. in order to stop people squatting on three-bedroom units with only one person in them or two people in them, uh, you know, a couple after the kids leave home and they start using the spare rooms as, you know, I don't know what, but um, instead give everybody a voucher equal to the full market value of their pro- of the of the unit that they're in, but uh, based on the number of people living in that unit, so that when the household shrinks, the voucher shrinks, and they must either subsidise it themselves or move to a smaller public rental unit. And then you don't, if, if, you, if you bring those um, prices up to market levels uh, with the vouchers uh, in, in hand, people be, would be much more mobile. You could sell off the public rental housing estates into real estate investment trusts um, and people who lose their security guard job in Tinshoi Wai and get one in Aberdeen can move to Aberdeen and take their PR, their, their voucher with them and rent a unit there in the free market with the, the full market value of, of the unit that they would occupy. So, you know, that there are, there are market-based solutions. In, in the UK, the government moved away in the 1990s and 1980s from council housing they recognised that making poor people live in, in basically in ghettos, uh, all the poor people living together with no uh, middle-class people, uh, was not a good idea. Uh, and instead they moved it towards subsidising people's rents if they needed help, which is the right thing to do. Um, and, and, and so the council housing stock was basically privatised. Uh, we should be looking at that solution to get a more efficient use of the units we're building because the last 200,000 units that were built by the housing authority only increased the population of the housing, the public rental housing, by 200,000 people because okay. people are just spreading out. Mm. So that's one thing. And if you if you basically gave up on the government being both the landlord and the, the uh, social welfare provider and instead said... The government must provide the social welfare. They must provide a, a rental voucher, but they won't be the landlord. Um, then, then you um, remove a lot of the tension from the system about whether we, you know, how many bits of land should be allocated to public versus private housing. For example, it just becomes all privately owned, but subsidised to the tenant. Okay, okay, uh, Rita Lee, because I know you're only with us uh, until nine o'clock, um, but what about that point uh, that uh, uh, Eric made uh, about, we, we now have two major development areas, uh, the northern metropolis and the east Lantau metropolis, or the Lantau tomorrow vision, or as uh, Mrs. Lam was referring to it in her speech yesterday on a number of occasions, the, uh, the, the Gaoyi Chow artificial islands. Um, I mean, do, do we need both mega projects and um, you know, um, will there be enough people to fill them? Uh, I, I think we, we, we have uh, we have uh, uh, I mean uh, we have a housing problem that is like for example the people that live in a extremely small house uh, problem. Even if we talk about like uh, we, we we don't we even if we talk about like if the population does not grow that much, but then we still have got a lot of the problem like for example the extremely small size of the housing units and then. Uh, uh, and then, uh, even if we like, for example, we can we can try to use other methods, like for some downsizing. But I can tell you that in the uh, in in most of the circumstances, uh, the old people, if we try to like move them from a from a big house to a small house, they will feel they will feel sort of like 
very suffer and losing faith. You know, in Chinese,、mm. we, we always say that this is like a kind of like lose faith activity. So we try to that if we. Uh, move from a、uh, a big house. Well, but then we have to we have to educate them that that is not a social stigma. I mean,、yeah. people do downsize. I think it's, it's like this Singaporean、uh, approach. Like, like they just like depending on how many people is actually in that household, you have to move. Yeah, the HDB system gets reallocated. Well, yeah. Well, actually, another thing is that if you move them to a housing estate that is not the housing estate that they're familiar with, there is also another problem that is like all、like、people that they stick to that committed community、yeah. that they stick with. Right.、Obviously. So there are enough. So if they th- th- are... so if they move to a new housing estate. Yeah. Which they are not familiar with. A lot of them, they they worry that they will they will pass away. Well, Rita, Rita, there are <laughs> thousands of units in each estate, right? They're not all the same size. There are one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom units in each estate. Maybe even four bedroom units. Yeah, but, but, but and so, if, you, if yourself, you have got a lot of friends and relatives, and then you 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 always bring them to your home, and then all of a sudden you, they find that your home is getting smaller. Give them the new okay, address. We've got, <laughs> we've, got, we've, got, we've got a break for the news at nine o'clock. Sorry, we have to break for the news at nine.、Uh, thanks very much for joining us,、uh, Rita Lee, director of. Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre at、uh, Shuyan University. A quick look at the weather:、uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers. The outlook:、uh, windy with occasional heavy squally showers tomorrow and over the weekend. Currently, it's 30 degrees, humidity 66%. The strong monsoon signal is in effect. Hey. Welcome back to Back Chat with Nixie Lam and me, Jim Gould. And、uh, this morning、uh, we're talking about the Chief Executive's policy address,、uh, the last of her uh, current uh, five-year term.、Um, just before we uh, resume uh, chat with our guests,、um, a few emails here.、Uh, David writes:、um, Obviously, a lot of people are planning to be、uh, imported to work here, which will consume a lot of property because they will need、uh, to live here. So population. Uh, was uh, uh, expected around eight and a half million. If it goes up to ten million, we're going.、Uh, where are we going to get all the water from? Because I thought China didn't have enough、uh, supply for Hong Kong and China. The government is already turning villages into squatter areas by overcrowding. So this is decreasing our quality of life and creating more respiratory problems. And、uh, public health service is well undermanned. And if the government was to employ 500 lawyers, they could reduce the refugees in Hong Kong. And many of us live in the new territories, and there is not enough transport now. From David. Uh, Uh, John writes,、uh, "Dear Backchat, the CE's policy address failed to provide any visibility on when Hong Kong's borders, both with China and the rest of the world, will be opened, and/or when our tough quarantine rules can be relaxed." The public has been continuously asking for the government to provide us with a roadmap to normalisation. For example, will travel restrictions be relaxed if we reach 80% vaccination rate? But her two-hour speech disappointedly. Didn't address this issue. Hong Kong, together with China, Macau, and Taiwan, are the only remaining places in the world that are still adopting a zero COVID policy. 
It is high time for us to abandon this approach. Some commentators have suggested that Beijing won't change course until after the Winter Olympics in late February. In an interview with Bloomberg yesterday, Frederick Golub, chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong, said that a number of European companies are considering relocating some staff from Hong Kong to Singapore directly because of Hong Kong's zero COVID policy and its restrictive effects. Uh, John writes, uh, uh, OK, <laughs> same John, actually. Um, I was surprised that the CE didn't announce a, a proposed redevelopment of the Kwai Chung container port mm. and concurrent uh, relocation of the existing facilities to Tun Mun, as had been rumoured over the past week. This seems a lost opportunity to produce tens, if not hundreds of thousands of apartments in the urban area, while also generating billions of dollars of much-needed revenues for the government in the form of land premier. And uh, Vic writes, uh, dear Backchat, wish the policy address had something in relation to income redistribution. Each crisis of the past, maybe the financial crisis, SARS, riots or pandemic, the rich have found ways to increase their wealth by exploiting the underprivileged. When and where will we find a solution to that? Government of the rich, by the rich, for the rich. Mm. That's from Vic. Um, well, we talked a lot before the break about the proposed... Um, new northern metropolis up near the border uh, of course there was a lot, uh, a lot a lot of other things in the policy address including a, a shake-up of uh, government bureaus uh, perhaps um, um uh, John Burns, Emeritus Professor at uh, the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Um, also with us is uh, David Webb, founder and editor of uh, Website. And we're joined on the line, I believe, uh, also by uh, Terence Lau, Executive Vice President of uh, Avalon Biomedical Management Limited. Um, but uh, uh, John Burns, perhaps if we could talk uh, a little bit about the reorganization of the government bureaus um is do you think is that a good idea uh you know we have tried this many times before and all we are really doing is rearranging the silos if we don't do more than um than uh what was talked about in the policy address and so this for as i said before, policy capacity, I think, is very important. And uh, we have faulted uh, government's analytical capacity. But, you know, I think in order to make wh however the government is reorganized uh, more effective, we need to address the trust deficit in Hong Kong. We need to address the um, lack of accountability uh, locally in Hong Kong, and we need to address the participation problem, civic engagement or something like that. And none of that is uh, being proposed in this policy address. Simply rearranging the bureaus, uh, I'm not very optimistic that this will... Um, that this will prove to be more effective. Yeah, the problem but, there is that you've, all that you do, you don't solve the problem that the bureaus don't cooperate with each other very well. All you're trying to do is reduce the overlap between them so that you don't have to cooperate too much with each other uh, by, by, you know, minimising the, the interplay. But uh, you can only do so much of that and as you need to have better mechanisms of cooperation and better incentives to cooperate I mean, why is it that civil servants can't be on some element of performance-linked pay 
which benchmarks them against targets uh, met, um, mm -hmm. which incentivizes them uh, to uh, to work with each other when the uh, projects um, involve more than one bureau. That, that would be one way to do it. Otherwise, what, what's in it for them? Because otherwise they, they keep their head down and the easiest answer to everything is no because uh, they can only get into trouble for doing something new. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, but this only focuses on the government. I mean, what I'm talking about is government and civil society right. and the relationship between mm. the state and civil society. Well, as you know, John, that has been dramatically reduced <laughs> i mean yes. because you can't choose your representatives unless they, they pass through the filter right? <laughs> they have to pass through the eligibility review committee and and uh, the district councils have basically got so small now that the government is even withdrawing projects from them and saying well we'll decide because your councils are now down to a, you know a few uh, pe people and that's not enough so so but li listen to the the people that are listening to this show, they talked about water, environmental sustainability, mm -hmm. COVID, yeah. all of these things. They re they're co-produced with the people. And yet, you, you know, this part of it, the state society part of it, is being completely ignored. Mm -hmm. So you rearrange the deck cha chairs, you pay the civil servants, you know, incentive pay or whatever it is, but even this is not going to solve the problem unless you address the state society link. And that's, it's be, I mean, the government is simply retreating from society. I think this is a huge mistake. Mm. Okay, uh, Terence Lau uh, of uh, Avalon Biomedical, uh, thanks for joining us. Hello. Yeah, hi. So, um, so what was in this policy address for you? Well, I think uh, I'm, I'm from the innovation technology yeah. areas. I think the government has put in a lot more resources to uh, continue, you know, supporting the development of innovation and technology. And uh, it's good for us, you know, and, uh, either, either for academia uh, in university and also for uh, industry working in this area. Mm. What, what, what about the uh, the restructures of the uh, the bureau? I mean, the, the the current bureau is innovation and technology bureau, and it says it's going to become um, adding on the in industrial um, side as well. So, what is that for you? I think they see the problems that we've been doing in the past years because we were uh, wistfully thinking. Um, you know, we can translate our invention discoveries to somewhere like Shenzhen or uh, places around, mm. and we just do basic research, do the invention, and we can get the return by commercializing, you know, our invention somewhere else. But it's not going to be work work up, you know, uh, because you know, the one of the most important things to uh, realize the commercial values of uh, uh, basic research result is to translate, you know, those uh, inventions into applications. But if the industry is, you know, happening somewhere else, all those activities will be around the industry. So we need to have our own industry if we really want to realize the values are coming out from the basic research. So I think it's a very strategic move, and we need to rebuild our industry in order to, you know, close the loop mm -hmm. and build our own ecosystem to sustain, you know, long-term uh, economy development from innovation technology. Should we close the loop or should we uh, use the cheaper land and labor that's available across the border for um, exploiting inventions? 
I mean, why, why should the government um, take land that could be used for better purposes, more, more productive purposes, and allocate it to factories, for example, which is what we're talking about here, really, when you say re-industrialisation, and then, and then, and then uh, subsidise people to, employ, uh, to be employed in those factories? But I, 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 we are talking about advanced, you know, innovation and technology, talking about advanced manufacturing. Mm. It's not very, you know, uh, similar to those, you know, we were in... Um, not uh, labor-intensive ones. Not, not labor-intensive. We need high skills that people, we need to generate value. So I understand that all people need, well, you know, people from all sectors need lands, but we need to think about how to divide those lands into different areas in order to generate... You know, the support yeah, for we don't, the we don't, economies in Hong Kong. China is extremely good, and so are other uh, regional countries. It's a cooperation in between. Yes, the there, there's, there are synergies in, in, in having the mainland uh, produce the smartphones and Hong Kong work on designing smartphones, for example. Um, you know, what, why would we need to be uh, uh, throwing taxpayers' money at subsidising the manufacture of them by giving them cheap land? Uh, you know, it's just... Isn't that a, well, a poor use of public resources? That, that would be the different stages, you know, of uh, industry because, you know, talk about the very, very uh, downstream manufacturing mm. is, the, is the, you know, uh, the end of the uh, invention. So mm. if, uh, even those, you know, apples at the first place, they do not start, you know, translating process in the mainland or other places where we, they need a lot of people, mm. they have to do all those translational development, industry development at their places, you know, close to their, uh, you know, research origins. Are, you know, I think in some days that we may be able to do that, mm. but not now because we need to sustain our, you know, research and innovation loop. Otherwise, you no, know, all the invention will be gone, all mm. the translational processes will be gone, all mm. the talent will be gone, and we all, we may not be able to attract enough talents to help building the process. And, you know, I don't see if you have a factory, uh, I mean the translating process in, in for example, Sunjin or, or somewhere in China, those people will back to Hong Kong because they may be coming from some other countries. They are not originally from Hong Kong. So mm. we were just you know, losing out all these, you know, early international talents to other places. <laughs> well, maybe that's just not what we're good at. I mean, you know, there's, 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 nobody says that we have to have a Silicon Valley in Hong Kong. And, and if the government tries to push us in that direction, then it's just going to be wasting public money. Oh, why, why not just let well, us, that, Hong Kong, be good at what it's good at, which is most of all the interconnector. And this, this is a government phrase I'm borrowing here. We are the interconnector between the mainland and the world financially, in financial services, in um, uh, trade and, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and design sometimes as well. But we sit in, in between. Uh, why should we, we force, force the economy the into biotechnology or something else? Side as well, if you look at the, um... Well, if we're good, then fine. If people have a good idea, well, so, no so one's stopping them. Is, right? <laughs> my question is for Terence. Is, well, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I have to jump in, David, please. <laughs> um, my question is, um, like, what, what sort of in, innovation uh, side we're actually good at? I, I, know, I noticed that while we're, when we land on Mars, like, we have some technologies actually from the uh, polytechnic universities and stuff. And the, um, a lot of people, we don't really understand what, what side of the innovation is like, quite, quite advanced in Hong Kong. I mean, of course, a lot of the... Um, government higher officials they understand but it seems like the, the whole hong kong society doesn't really know about it can you actually um explain a bit on that well uh, th th thanks you know um, yeah. uh, we're responding to what david just mentioned um we're not 
you know, uh, doing one side the other. You know, we we just need to think about you know, how we capture some of the opportunity. I don't need to think about what positioning that we want to be in. You know, uh, what would be the ultimate goal for developing all these innovation technology? We want to help. You know, it to be one of the engines for Hong Kong's economy. So we're not trying to do something that we just want to do. But we really want to build in you know, Hong Kong, you know, uh, diversify our economies into somewhere else. And to, uh, you know, uh, the, the questions uh, just asked, you know, we are not doing all innovation technology. Of course, you know, landing on Mars is very fascinating, but it's a university-based mm. research project. Mm. It's for, you know, from the curiosity of the university professors and also the, the you know, the real needs uh, from somewhere else, uh, from our mainland government. Mm. But uh, for Hong Kong, we need to pick something that fits into our economy. We need something that we do not need a lot of labors. We have, a, a, you know, you know uh, can you know build our advanced skills. That's just like you know, think about TSMC. Mm. They do not have a lot of you know uh, operation in main, uh, Taiwan, but they're supporting Taiwan very huge in terms of economies. Mm. They are just you know some factories in Xinjiang and, and that. Mm-hmm. But over the years, they build their know-how, their skill sets that can mm. sustain the growth of Taiwan economies, you know, to a certain extent. So I think this is one of the ways that we may need to think about. So we pick the industry that we could really help Hong Kong to diversify our economy, now mostly based on land and financial, but we need to have some something else to support our you know, future growth. Do we have enough scientific talents at the moment, do you think? Uh, we have a lot of good university basic research, but we need to attract more on translational process, you know, I mean, working on translational research because they are not, you know, uh, so uh, these experts are not from university. We need to attract them to come to Hong how do we How do we attract um, bright young people from foreign universities, for example, to come to Hong Kong when... First of all, for the time being, they can't basically without a twenty-one day quarantine. Um, uh, and, and and secondly, uh, even if they come, they can't buy a home for seven years because otherwise they have to pay um, a ridiculously high stamp duty as as a uh, non non permanent resident. Twenty three and a half percent stamp duty to buy a home. Um, and then, of course, there's the international image of Hong Kong after the national security law took effect. Um, and the re- reduction of uh, democracy uh, or, or pseudo-democracy, we're now down to a very narrow franchise. Democracy how does that scientific research. <laughs> well, how does that attract a liberally-minded uh, scientist uh, to come and work here? Or are you hoping that basically that they'll all come from the mainland? Mm. Um, okay. mm-hmm. Well, I agree there are a lot of challenges. <laughs> There's challenges for everything. She, she did about, say, yeah. uh, the chief executive yeah. did say yesterday, uh, she, she, she pointed to the very large number of uh, international firms doing business here and as evidence that uh, the business environment um, had improved. I mean, uh, national security was a very strong theme of the policy address. It kind of ran throughout. She said the introduction of the NSL and... Uh, uh, the uh, overhaul of the electoral system um, had um, uh, meant that we were now in a new era where uh, the society was peaceful again, uh, 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 things could get done, um, uh, LegCo could operate properly. Um, <clears throat> um, John Burns, uh, uh, she, she also said that the, the obligation to enact the uh, Article 23, National Security Law, uh, as, uh, as set out in the Basic Law. Um, um, she regretted that it hadn't happened in the past under previous chief executives, but 
sounds like it's not going to happen under her either because there's not enough time before the end of this uh, current term, unless, of course, she does another one. What do you think? Listen, on things like sec national security and these sorts of things, they could pass it in three days. So uh, I, 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 don't, I don't underestimate the ability of the central government on uh, security issues or anything like that. So, but uh, we, we're in a very uh, unfortunate place, it seems to me, um, simply because for this entire exercise, policy address exercise, we have only been focusing on the government and what the government is going to do and what the government is trying to do. And we are not taking into consideration the people of Hong Kong who live here and and on whom the government needs, they, the, the government depends on these people, us, for support. And with trust levels so low and restricted participation and all the other things that, uh, uh, the catalog of things that have been listed on this program already, um, this is not, this indicates that the thinking, the, the way the government is approaching this is, um, too narrow and is too restricted. I don't think this is uh, the way to go, uh, personally. You know, I've talked about accountability repeatedly, and um, I think it's fair to say that if Carrie Lam had been a mayor of a mainland city and she brought that city to their knees, as she did in Hong Kong in 2019, she would have been long gone. We wouldn't be talking about this from this perspective at all. Is it entirely fair to blame her for bringing the city to its knees in 2019? Well, who proposed the extradition bill? Well, exactly. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, and, I'm just putting it out there for discussion. I mean, I'll just leave it at that. Next we don't need to go yeah. much further that, other than yeah. to understand the chain of consequences. I totally agree with you, David. <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 on, on the quarantine issue and, and the sort of every effort being taken to bring Hong Kong into the mainland bubble of quarantine, they basically want to remove the barrier and allow people to travel freely with, uh, to and fro to the mainland. The alternative, of course, is for us to stay on the outside and open up. And I think that um, uh, the greatest contribution Hong Kong could make at this point to the motherland um, and to the one country is to be separate um, in, in our system uh, and open up not just to international capital movements, as we always have, and a free port for goods, as we always have been, um, but also... Uh, to the free movement of people again, so that um, until China is ready to open its own borders, uh, we we would actually take take one for the country, as it were, by opening up, allowing some infections in, driving up the vaccination rate, um, and uh, adopting approach more in line with uh, other developed economies which are, are now opening up. Uh, rather than being left behind as places like Singapore move ahead, because otherwise we are facing uh, a real situation of, of banks reallocating some of their staff to Singapore, for example, so that their families can visit freely, uh, relatives can come and see their grandchildren and, uh, and children in, in Singapore, um, but can't do that in Hong Kong. I mean, I've had to, si I've had to sit here in Hong Kong... And, and watch my father's funeral online. I haven't been away for, for, for nearly two years. I've dispatched my eldest son to university. 
with the expectation that he won't be able to come back at least until next summer. Um, and this is just an example of the way um, our approach has disrupted uh, ordinary life in Hong Kong. But I think we could um, uh, ad adopt a different line and then rather than trying to get into the China bubble, uh, but stay on the outside and resume traffic and trade fairs and exhibitions and sporting events and conferences and so on, all of the things that go with that, in return for accepting that there will be a small number of cases, mostly amongst people who've refused to take the vaccine. John? I, I do not think that th this is something that the Hong Kong government can do politically. I think they've been told what they have to do, and they are trying to do it. You only have to listen to John Lee. So there isn't the discretion to do uh, what you propose, although... Well, I'm just suggesting be... that they, they should think about uh, educating the mainland into this idea that the better, better contribution that Hong Kong could make to the one country would be to be the only place on Chinese soil with free movement of people. And... and the only people that represent Hong Kong at the center where it matters yeah. are people like uh, Lo Hoi Ning. Is he going to argue for Hong Kong on this issue? Well, we'd have to I don't think so. We'll have to I see. Don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. So, you know, I mean, if you look at the central, the, the, at the yeah. central gover government, the people that matter are not from the Hong hmm. Kong government. The people because I, I think uh, people who expect China to open up right after the Olympics are being hopelessly optimistic. Uh, the, uh, with the current uh, situation in the mainland, having um, basically brought the entire country to believe that Xi Jinping has led them to the sunlit uplands of zero infections, um, and, and that <laughs> dual circulation is much more important um, you know, in terms of people spending their money at home and not wishing to expose the population by travelling to overseas um, um, ideologies and influences, uh, that it rather suits them to stay hunkered down as long as possible. And so, you know, if we move into that bubble, we can expect Hong Kong to be locked into the quarantine for, for possibly years to come. OK, thanks for paraphrasing Winston Churchill there. Uh, 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 Terence Lau, is there any concern in your sector about the zero COVID policy? Is it, uh, is, is it a affecting your business? Oh, definitely. You know, uh, we can go, you know, uh, places, you know, outside Hong Kong, not, not just mainland, but also other countries, because, you know, when we come back, we need to be quarantined. So, uh, yeah, it's in effect very much. You know, just like myself, I have a factory in Shenzhen, you know, for COVID diagnostic, but I haven't been there and they started last year, so <laughs> it's really a huge problem. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, well, well, look, thanks very much uh, for joining us, uh, everybody. We'll, ha we'll have to call it a day because uh, we're almost out of time, but uh, uh, thank you very much to uh, Terence Lau, Executive Vice President of uh, Avalon Biomedical Management Limited. Uh, uh, thank you very much to David Webb, founder and uh, editor of uh, Website, and thanks very much to John Burns, Emeritus Professor and Honorary Professor at the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Um, thanks very much to you, Nixie. See you next time. Um, and thanks to, uh, before 8 o'clock, uh, sorry, before 9 o'clock, we heard from uh, Rita Lee, Director of Sustainable uh, Real Estate Research Centre and Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University. Um, just a few more emails uh, from listeners. Um, so uh, Paul Zimmerman writes, uh, the northern metropolis is a good step away from the Lantau metropolis. Cleaning up the existing land 
of the new territories versus creating new land has been promoted by many as the appropriate cost-effective way forward for Hong Kong. It focuses government resources in addressing the abusive and wasteful land situation in the new territories. Um, Simon writes, uh, dear Backchatter, David has questioned where will the people come from to occupy the northern metropolis? The answer is from the mainland. It will serve both as a colonisation mechanism to increase loyal mainland Chinese in Hong Kong as well as providing cheaper accommodation than Shenzhen. Anyone living in Shenzhen will attest to the high price of Shenzhen property. Uh, and uh, uh, this from uh, Colin says, uh, uh, I'm all for planning and with a vision looking at demographics uh, in China and Hong Kong. The long term forecast is for declining and aging populations. Where are these people coming from? Where does Lantau tomorrow and these proposals fit in together? That's uh, from Colin. Uh, and I think uh, I think that's uh, I think that's all. Um, let me see. Okay. Um, any other emails? I haven't had time to read out. Uh, we'll try and deal with them at a later time. Um, a quick look at the weather before we go to the news summary and morning brew. Um, mainly cloudy with a few showers. Sunny intervals during the day. Top temperature around 31 degrees. Fresh east to northeasterly winds. Strong offshore. The outlook, it will be windy with occasional heavy squally showers tomorrow and during the weekend. There will be swells. The weather will improve and it will be dry early next week. It's currently 30 degrees, humidity 65% and the strong monsoon signal is in effect. Have you received influenza vaccination and COVID-19 vaccination? Both are equally important. Getting influenza and COVID-19 at the same time may lead to more serious illness. Receiving the flu jab may reduce the chance and length of staying in hospital. Protect yourself and those around you. Get both jabs early. Keep influenza away. Get the jab every year. Please visit chp.gov.hk. The new summary with Vicky Wong. A political commentator says the proposed northern metropolis announced by the chief executive Carrie Lam in yesterday's policy address is an aggressive project that could take up to 20 years to come to fruition. It would cover 300 square kilometres in Yunlong and North District to house around two and a half million people and be developed into an international IT hub. The White House has announced plans for talks between President Xi Jinping and Joe Biden by video link before the end of the year. Xinhua did not mention the proposed talks between President Xi and Mr Biden, but said the two sides had agreed to strengthen strategic communication. And Netflix has announced that it will edit out a phone number in its hit South Korean program Squid Game after a woman said she'd been deluged by calls and messages to her mobile. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. Oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, this is not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Thursday here on The Morning Brew. Thursday is Thursday because our vet Dr Dave will be making his weekly house call. Join him with your questions. 
Facebook, Morning Brew at rthk.hk. After that, we're off to visit Chris Watts at his Motion Dynamics studio in Central for some bendy, therapeutic pleasure and pain. Chris, of course, is a day late this week because we were addressing policy things yesterday. 12 plus this Thursday, Maestro JC Viennes for his monthly wine wine. He's going to be live from Verona very early in the morning, Italian style with his usual great advice and a few traveller's tales too. Chris and JC on Facebook Live, which is the perfect place to ask them any questions you may have. While he was scheming, I was dreaming in the beamer, just scheming. Can't believe that I called my man cheating. So I found another way to make him pay for it all. So I went to Neiman Marcus on a shopping spree. And on the way, I grabbed Sully and Mia. And as the cash box 